lecture five part two of the endowments of man by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture five self and conscience part two let us now apply our test pride is a swelling of the soul that springs from the perverse appetite of making ourselves greater than in truth we are to take the strictly scientific definition of st thomas pride is that whereby a man desires to surpass the measure of his condition in contradiction to right reason this elation of pride springs from self-love and is the chief outcome of self-love but if man were made for himself he must be sufficient for himself which is contradicted by all the facts of his nature again if he were made for himself he must have made himself which is absurd if he were sufficient for himself he must be as a god to himself an absurdity which more than one modern school of infidels has maintained with the very lunacy of pride for if these absurdities could be true and reconcilable there would be no inordinate self-love and consequently no pride yet all men admit that pride the offspring of inordinate self-love is the root of human evil and it is recognized as the offensive presumption of a self-sufficiency that we do not possess and that is repugnant to reason justice and common sense man is therefore altogether insufficient for himself and the contrary assumption is absurd and ridiculous so far from being independent as self-sufficiency would make him the number and greatness of his wants proclaim him the most dependent of all beings if human nature finds itself in a state of disorder from its birth if man comes into the world in need of reparation if his faculties are wounded and weak if evil is present with him and he suffers and sighs for a good that is far from him it is because he is of the race that was incorporated bodily in adam when he fell off from god who is the good of his soul and fell upon himself thus substituting the love of self as his dominant disposition for the love of that good for which his soul was made but this is to lose the whole order of good and consequently to lose the justice which acts upon that order the alienation from god which constitutes the original culpability of man has these two calamitous effects the one is the forfeiture of that supernatural principle of grace which enabled him to advance towards his supreme good the other is the contraction of the man through this inversion of his affections upon himself which is the cause of all his miseries but god cannot give up his rights in a creature made for himself and bearing his image nor can that creature be happy or content without god in his body derived from adam 
there reigns a propensity a disorder a concupiscence a fuel of sin that oppresses obscures and defiles the soul from the moment that fresh from the creative hand of god she enters into the body there to dwell with it in the closest union of life and action such is the fallen condition of man from which he can only be delivered through the unspeakable mercy of god in the regeneration of christ by the sacrament of baptism but after the soul is regenerated the body still remains unregenerated until its death and resurrection left in its mortality the fuel of concupiscence is continually supplied from the external world through the corporeal appetites and senses these again feed the internal senses and stimulate the subtle and ever active imagination all this fuel of concupiscence fosters and promotes the carnal consciousness of self and stimulates to the inordinate love of self against the laws of god written with light in the conscience for the corruptible body is a load upon the soul and the earthly habitation presseth down the mind that museth upon many things the unregenerated body has therefore to be incessantly combated by the regenerated soul lest she lose her freedom and turn more disastrously than ever from her communion with god for as st paul says there dwelleth not in me that is in my flesh that which is good for the wisdom of the flesh is death but the wisdom of the spirit is life and peace because the wisdom of the flesh is an enemy to god for it is not subject to the law of god neither can it be and they who are in the flesh cannot please god that is they who live in the desires of the body cannot please god because these desires bring the soul under bondage to the inferior nature and her love is turned from god to self from this comes the necessity of the law of self-denial this law was introduced with the promise of redemption was emphatically reasserted in the word and example of our divine redeemer himself and the cross is its everlasting symbol tertullian has justly observed that the law of self-denial is the special law of christians it is directly opposed to self-love and to whatever feeds and stimulates self-love the highest reason of the law of self-denial is summed up by the venerable bede in this short sentence we can only approach to the god who is above us by quitting ourselves and this is called the denial of ourselves that man effectually denies himself who subjects his body to his soul and his soul to god our inordinate love of the things of this present life has its chief foundation in this love of ourselves we draw them to us we reflect ourselves in them and out of them we build that constructive and fictitious self of which we have spoken 
upon this fictitious self we expend our affections they absorb the energies of the soul in vain and withhold us from ascending to the better things self-love must therefore be dissolved into the love of god a commutation of its force which can only be accomplished by the addition of divine grace and a change in its direction to quote the luminous words of saint augustine the soul is carried to whatever she is carried by the weight of her love and for this reason we are commanded to carry over the weight of cupidity to the weight of charity until cupidity is consumed and charity is perfected this transfer of love from self to god is the whole sum of christian perfection the sublime height of which familiar to the saints is thus described by the same great doctor and saint god is to be loved until if it were possible we might forget ourselves this self-denial is the expression of that self-hatred which is the adversary of self-love not that we are to hate ourselves with an evil will but to sacrifice our self-love from the truest charity to ourselves that we may gain the love of god and in the love of god our union with the supreme good of our life this hatred therefore is but the earnest love of god resisting self-love as its enemy on this subject tertullian says with his usual precision and profundity that among christians the love of self is not so great a thing as the hatred of self and this profound truth has obtained its ample exposition in saint augustine's famous book on the city of god where he describes the two loves that have built two cities which in this world are mingled together but in the next are parted from each other one of these cities is ruled by god the other by satan the city of god begins with the love of god and is constructed with the love of god and the energy of that divine love increases even to the hatred of self but the city of satan begins from self-love and grows with the love of self and that self-love increases even to the hatred of god these two loves embrace the whole history of the human race and extend to the eternal years the one is holy the other is unclean the one is social the other is private our lord has therefore said he who loveth his soul shall lose it and he who hateth his soul in this world shall keep it in eternal life is there no love of one's self then which is good and lawful undoubtedly there is how else could we have been taught to love our neighbor as we love ourself how else could we have the virtue of hope how again the love of our salvation and perfection what is love but the desire of uniting our being with a more excellent being that may give us the good and perfection that we want our good as we have so often repeated 
is neither in ourself or of ourself our good is in god and of god we therefore look to our real interests and exercise a holy love of ourselves when we look to god above all things and love him with our whole heart and mind and when we love our neighbor for his sake as we love ourselves that is when we wish him the same good that we wish ourselves when this greatest interest of our love is made firm and secure to us it becomes the vital principle by which all subordinate interests and affections are regulated this is not a self-love with self for its direct object but it is a love of ourself in our objective good in that supreme good that makes us good according to the essential nature and order of good the love of charity is expansive it extends in all directions while that pestilent self-love contracts and oppresses the soul withholds her from charity and eats into her spiritual nature like rust or rot penetrating into her very substance with a vehemence and passion that works unlimited evils there is no evil of which it is not capable the least thing gives occasion to it and without a renunciation of that self-love which refuses the love of god and a profound humility to protect this renunciation it is very difficult if not impossible to protect ourselves against it as the true love of ourselves is included in the love of god we have no special command to love ourselves charity is the concord of all things it is a virtue so divine so ample so all-embracing that it extends our love of god to all that god loves charity is the principle that animates and regulates the love of one's self and of one's neighbor within the love of god whosoever loves himself otherwise more truly hates than loves himself because he loves the worse instead of the better which is beyond all reason and equity it is beyond all reason because reason demands that we should love that which is best in itself and best for us and it is beyond all equity because equity is the equalization of our will with the just order and due proportion of things whilst inequity or iniquity is the failure of our will from the due order and just proportion of things hence the scripture says he who loveth iniquity hateth his own soul these words of saint augustine are also to the point in what inexplicable way it comes about i do not know but whoever loves himself without loving god does not love himself and whoever loves himself does not love himself if this sounds like a paradox to those who love themselves without loving god it is a clear and luminous truth to those who love themselves within the love of god 
face to face with ourself is our conscience we call it ours because it is implanted in our faculties but conscience is the organ of god and the expression of his will to us implanted in our mind and heart and put into the closest relations with our spiritual sense conscience is at once a light a sense and a witness to our will we see the law of right and wrong in its light we feel its force we remember what it records as though it were written in a book within us compared with every other kind of knowledge conscience has this distinctive character that it is the witness of god and the soul this mysterious element in the reason of man reflects the intimate relations which god holds with his soul and it imprints upon his heart the imperishable obligations that he owes to the divine author of all things conscience is a universal fact in human nature and a kind of natural revelation giving to all men and to each in a more or less vivid way a notion of the law and of the end of human life it is to be found with more or less obscuration in the savage as well as in the philosopher plato proclaims that this unwritten law and notion of good which the philosophers poets and legislators contemplate is inseparable from god and from a divine providence cicero and seneca used the word conscience as synonymous with religion but owing to the unregenerated state of the pagans and their heathen blindness their conscience was much more sensitive to the dread of the divine anger than to the sense of the divine goodness faith and the charity which follows faith give perfection to the conscience and reveal to our understanding what conscience is with great clearness if it be as it is a truth and a law planted by god in our mind it also works as a prompt and practical sense in the heart warning us at every instant both what to do and what to avoid hence the scriptures both old and new make the heart the seat of the conscience to return to the heart in scripture phrase is to return to the conscience to listen to the voice of god within us the conscience not only expresses the law of god but it necessarily implies an inward sense of god's all-seeing presence but when we call the heart the seat of the conscience we do not speak of the material heart but of the spiritual sense which is inseparable from the will and of which the material heart is the organ the heart is equally placed for the will the spiritual sense and the conscience thus intimating that the conscience as the law of the will is placed in the closest relations with the will saint paul says of the natural conscience the gentiles who have not the law do by nature the things that are of the law these having not the law are a law to themselves 
who show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience accusing or else defending them here as elsewhere the apostle exhibits self and conscience not only as distinct each from the other but as opposed each to the other as the christian conscience is formed of the light of faith as well as of the light of reason as it is raised to higher more ample and diviner views of god's eternal law and receives a keener sense of god's presence and as it is invigorated with the force of grace and charity making the soul much more sensible both to good and evil the christian conscience rises to an incredibly higher power than the natural conscience for not only are god and the law of god seen in the truly christian conscience with greater clearness but the presence of god and the force of his law are felt in the heart with greater quickness and intensity the conscience then becomes as a breath of the spirit of god in whom we live and move and have our being as the light of the word of god it reveals to us both god and ourselves as a breath of the spirit of god moving as the life of charity within us as by a sacred touch upon our spirit it gives us the vital sense of god's presence with us for all the grace of god within us goes to perfect the conscience and as a spark of divine light and the breath of divine love the conscience is the living bond between the christian soul and god st john chrysostom calls the conscience the authoritative teacher implanted in human nature not that the instruction which develops our conscience is divinely implanted but as st bonaventure observes the light of its first principles is implanted st augustine enters more deeply into the office of the conscience he calls it a certain noble judicial power that god has inserted in us so that in this book of light which is truth we distinguish light from darkness in so far as the truth is naturally impressed upon the heart of man elsewhere he says it is no small thing that previous to the merit of our good actions we have received a natural judicial power whereby we are able to prefer wisdom to error and peace to trouble conscience is both the law and the judge of the will and in both these offices it is the organ and representative of god it instructs us what to desire and what to fear what to do and what to leave undone and then it judges what we have done applauds what we have done well and rebukes what we have done ill it gives peace to the good and terror to the evil in a word and that word shall be saint bernard's the conscience is a mirror that reflects into the man the knowledge of his exterior and interior condition how can the man see himself without a mirror 
a good conscience is the bright and pure mirror of religion as a woman composes herself to beauty in a glass to please her husband the soul contemplates herself in her conscience and there sees how far she has gone from the image of truth and what she still retains of her creator's image we therefore carry in our conscience as the companion and tutor of our will the sense of god the voice of his law and the mirror of our life and our conscience is at once the witness and the judge of our conduct the approver of our good and the punisher of our evil acts and the faithful recorder of our just or unjust life when this record of our life comes to an end with the termination of our mortal years it is sealed unto the day of judgment where god will condemn nothing that has been blotted out by the tears of repentance or consumed in the flame of charity how perfectly the folded record of our conscience is preserved within us we have it demonstrated in certain critical cases that are historical a sudden violence to the human system under given circumstances has unfolded the whole volume of life to the mind and heart in every page and line of its course and that with an instantaneous effect if the conscience reveals the justice of god it is also a great revealer of his mercy it warns us of approaching evil it admonishes us under temptation lest we fall it rebukes us with severity when we have fallen to bring us to repentance it punishes us with trouble and distress of heart when we refuse to repent nothing more beautifully exhibits the paternity of god than his voice in the conscience of his children that divine voice takes every tone that our deservings or our needs require from the sweet and gentle accents of approval and encouragement to the stern and severe tones of rebuke and condemnation the pride and sensuality that blind our understanding against the truth acts also through the imagination to obscure the light of conscience then instead of regulating our desires by our conscience we are too apt to regulate our conscience by our desires not because the true conscience can be false but because it is masked over with false imaginations for self-love is a great contriver in her own cause she listens more to herself than to her conscience and finds many pleas for her conduct which her conscience were it listened to would not allow and by this folly and falsehood to use the words of st paul the foolish heart is darkened for pride clouds the conscience but humility makes it clear and serene yet where self is not concerned where the question is to judge some other person the light of conscience is quickly found and as quickly applied and is but too often taken for giving evidence 
as well as passing judgment when we speak of an evil conscience we do not mean that the conscience is evil but that it is the witness of evil for conscience is the light of god and the law of justice the evil is not in our conscience but in ourself and the conscience is the witness and judge of that evil when again we speak of the worm of conscience or of the remorse of conscience we put the cause for the effect the conscience accuses condemns and punishes but the stings pangs and bitings of conscience are the gnawing punishments of self-condemnation suffered with fear of yet greater troubles within the heart or our evil self for the present self-condemnation foreshadows the future judgment and the future punishment beyond the present inward confusion and disorder and the offended conscience leaves no rest or peace to the soul but makes her unhappy until she returns to god by repentance after which the conscience becomes tranquil approving and consoling should we err in reading our conscience whether from want of light or of instruction as even the just may do in questions remote from first principles whilst we obey our best lights we err without intention and still commit no wrong because we adhere to the great principle of obeying our conscience as far as we have its light st paul therefore lays down the principle that all that is not of faith is of sin that is all that we believe not to be of conscience for faith in this place means fidelity to conscience self is the subject of conscience and the disciple of conscience we have the inmost conviction that in listening to our conscience we hear the will of god and that in obeying our conscience we are obedient to god when at the instigation of the passions of our nature we set up our will against our conscience we cannot resist the conviction that we are disobeying the voice of god when on the contrary we make our will one with the will of god as revealed in the conscience internal division ceases self is no longer selfish the whole man is at peace and the peace and joy of a good conscience is a paradise on earth our glory is this says st paul the testimony of our conscience as the eternal word of god is the author of the natural as well as of the revealed law of justice we must naturally expect that when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us he would reassert the natural law and give to it a new light and vigor he did reassert that natural law especially as contained in the ten commandments he constantly appealed to the law of nature in his discourses he scattered the mists that had gathered over its sanctions through a long course of human perversity he gave it fresh light in his parables 
he appealed to the existing consciences of men and he restored to the law of conscience its power beauty and serenity he made it shine more clearly and act more forcibly through the light of faith and the discipline of the gospel st james calls the gospel the engrafted word which is able to save our souls the word of faith is engrafted in divine light upon the word of reason and the law of christ upon the natural conscience to borrow a figure from st paul the fertile olive which is christ is grafted on the wild olive of the natural man to make the tree of human nature spiritually rich and fertile in the fruits of light but the fruits of light says st paul are in all goodness and justice and truth the natural conscience is therefore the precursor of faith and obedience to the law of reason prepares the will to receive and obey the law of grace the christian faith and law are in fact but a higher and diviner reason superadded to the light of nature which elevates the conscience to a supernatural state and gives it a divine truth divine motives and a divine energy to enlighten lift up and invigorate the will to desire and pursue the soul's eternal good as the natural and the revealed laws come to us by different ways from one and the same divine source and origin they reunite in the christian conscience and there the divine law gives its brightness and perfections to the natural law and to its observance when obeyed in christ for god's sake it also gives to the natural law its own supernatural motive and light and its own title to a supernatural reward it is therefore the most reasonable of all things to obey the law of christ provided we obey it in its own sense and not in ours because christ is the word of truth the eternal reason incarnate who is the fontal source of all reason whatsoever whether natural or supernatural for that was the true light which enlighteneth every man that cometh into this world st paul therefore calls our christian obedience our reasonable service when the man is regenerated when he receives the light of faith and the grace of charity by their help he turns anew to god and recovers the lost state of justice the image of the holy trinity is brightened in him the image of christ his redeemer is sealed in light upon his soul the unction of the holy spirit flows to his heart the instruction of the church expands the light of truth implanted in his mind and draws out the details of the divine law whose principles are already in his conscience as he advances in virtue and identifies his will more and more with his conscience his will becomes more and more luminous and more sensitive to his conscience and in the light of his conscience 
he obtains a clearer revelation of his own nature which makes him sensible that without god's help and grace he is poor naked blind and miserable there grows in him an abhorrence of sin as it separates from god and is destructive of himself he becomes humbled beneath the truth which shows him things so much greater than himself and he is ready to exclaim with the patriarch to god i am less than all thy mercies and the truth thou hast fulfilled to thy servant st john chrysostom has expressed all this in terms too clear and lucid to be here omitted the more he says we advance in virtue the more we reduce ourselves to nothingness this reduction of oneself to nothingness is the highest virtue the man of clearest sight sees the heavens at the greatest distance from him and the more a man advances in virtue the greater is the distance that he sees between himself and god it is no small part of christian philosophy to know the real amount of our deservings but we find that the man who knows himself best is he who values himself the least abraham and david became the most sincere with themselves after they had reached the highest point of virtue yet abraham declared that before god he was but dust and ashes whilst david compared himself to the worm every saint has confessed his nothingness with a like wonderful sincerity those persons on the contrary who have the least knowledge of themselves are precisely the persons who lift themselves up with arrogance when speaking of persons infected with pride how common it is to hear remarks like these the man does not know himself or the man is completely ignorant of himself but when a man does not know himself whom else does he know or what else does he know if he knows himself he knows everything but if he knows not himself he knows nothing to any purpose there was a certain one who said to himself i will set my throne above the stars of heaven that one was ignorant of everything but saint paul had no such arrogance after his great and brilliant deeds he called himself an abortive the least of apostles and unworthy to be called an apostle if we wish to emulate him we must withdraw from our earthly affections for nothing keeps us in greater ignorance of ourselves than the love of earthly things the man who delights in the glory of this world imagines that earthly things will give him greatness such a man may try a thousand times and will yet fail to reach the knowledge of himself whilst the man who despises himself obtains that knowledge with ease and upon once knowing himself he makes good progress in the other parts of virtue but to obtain this beautiful knowledge he will have to stand apart and to keep himself free from the fluctuating things that kindle such a flame in us 
then may he find out his native vileness and exhibit that christian humility and philosophy by whose help we lay hold of both the present and future good through the grace of our lord jesus christ truth itself is a law to our will and equally demands our submission with the commandments and in these days when so many men prefer opinion to truth because opinion does not bind them this right of truth to the obedience of the will cannot be too much insisted upon for no man obeys his conscience who obeys not the truth and obeys it as it is in itself because truth known to the mind is a part of the conscience truth reveals to us both our native darkness and our dependence on god for light just as the commandments reveal to us the just order of things and our deficiencies from that order just also as the grace of god reveals to us our native weakness and makes us feel the need we have of a strength more than our own wherewith to obey the truth and to keep the commandments the higher the conscience is built in the truth the fuller it is of the light of law the more thoroughly the conscience is imbued with the grace of christ the more vigorously it censures the swelling movements of our selfish nature that lift themselves against the truth and will of god or resist his inspirations such is the force of conscience that though a thousand voices spoke in our favor the secret voice of conscience will overbear them all it will not be trifled with it will stand no lying a thousand witnesses may speak in our favor but instead of quieting the conscience it will only awaken its more earnest rebuke it will strike us it will pierce us it will suffer no false sentence to interfere with its inexorable judgment the sin of judah is written with a pen of iron with the point of a diamond graven upon the tablet of the heart the flatteries that contradict the conscience but provoke it to wound us with sharper stings and keener pangs of remorse pride may cloud and darken our mind sensuality may blunt our sensibilities a long neglect of god may harden us against the powers of conscience but its light cannot be extinguished the diamond point is there the shock of sudden visitation may bear the soul to its light and sting once more or if death comes quicker than repentance then drops the veil then vanishes the pride then stands the soul face to face before the conscience with her dark record as its witness before the justice of god end of lecture five part two